It is my favorite show of the year. We are talking about pass rushers tonight with the Pass Rush King. Justice Mosqueda is here. See you on the other side. Yes, my favorite show of the year. Like I told you guys in the open, this is the Gold Zone presented to you by Game On Wisconsin and live in the Game On Wisconsin studios myself, Jacob Westendorf. I'm joined, as always, by Jacob Morley, and I want to give you guys an opportunity right now to look on that bottom line there and find the Green Bay Draft Guide for, uh, well, less than 10 bucks. You can get yourself 225 profiles fit right toward your Green Bay Packers. Uh, and that is up to date. So we sent it in. Uh, the Devontae Adams deal is taken care of in there. The Russell Douglas deals, all that stuff is as up to date as humanly possible that we can add in there. So you're not going to be uh, reading about stuff thinking that Adams is on the team when we all know that he is not. We'll talk a little bit about that. We're going to talk about pass rushers as well. I'm joined by, I mentioned in the top, the pass rush king. Uh, I don't know your title, but I'm going to call you the head honcho of Acme Packing Company. Uh, Justice Mosqueda, an old friend of the show, a friend of the program. Justice, it has been a minute, though. How are you? It has. I thought I scared you guys off. I don't <laughs> get the invites anymore. I'm, I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? I am doing okay. It's good to have you here. So what I want to start with here is you had this thing, and that kind of became your – well, I don't know if your brand was just like memes and jokes and stuff like that, but uh, – <laughs> initially what I came or when I first noticed you was your stuff on force players. And you used to do that stuff at a bunch of different places now, but that was mostly defensive linemen, pass rushers, uh, things of that nature. So just kind of explain for people that are new here, how you kind of came up with that and what that is and how you use it in terms of, you know, your draft analysis. Yeah. So um, the numbers that come out from the combine are actually really important for line of scrimmage defenders. And I don't think it's as surprising as people would assume. I think a lot of people look at the combine and they think uh, that that's something for like wide receivers or something like that, right? Like people are going to run 40 yards downfield. Oh, I want to look at guys who are running 40 yards downfield when that's not really the case. Wide receivers don't start in three point stances like defensive linemen do. They're not asked to kind of like penetrate explosively like defensive linemen do. Um, the, the three cone and the shuttle, the agility drills, are super important and honestly are, are pretty predictive of, uh, you know, bending around the edge, for example. So force players was kind of a way to kind of measure that and, you know, take a historical look at the position and, and try to, you know, look at that moving forward. And it's, it's something that I've really been passionate about. I mean, uh, the pandemic changed a lot of stuff for a lot of people. I, I was, uh, the director of analytics for, for the XFL's uh, scouting department at the time. Um, so like I'd worked, you know, in player personnel basically for two, two full years, just looking at analytics from both of, how should we put it? Like a true production standpoint. And then also the athleticism standpoint. So this is something that I, I was using to kind of build out for, you know, eight, eight pro teams too. It wasn't just something that we're doing, uh, you know, on a, on a blog spot, uh, 
address anymore. Yeah, it's been cool to watch you kind of grow up through the ranks here. And then you took over uh, after you mentioned the stuff in the XFL, which was awesome, uh, over at Acme Packing. So you've been there for about a year, maybe a little more than that yeah, now, since right? May, I think. So, yeah. Okay, so year. we're coming up on a year. And then what do you guys got going on over there? I know you have a pretty uh, tenured crew for the most part, but you guys have got some cool new stuff going on over there as well. Yeah, the, the big thing, I think, this past year, you know, the con- the content is the content. Um, it's going to come as people get inspired for that. But the, the podcast network, I think we've, we've really built it out trying to have all these shows, you know, in season, you know, off season, we're coming in whenever there's breaking news for the most part. And then, uh, Tyler Brooke and I, who's one of the additions that I brought on to Acme Packing Company are, you know, breaking down position by position, like, you know, as we go through the draft, not really talking about quarterbacks and running backs. Cause I don't, I don't think the Packers going to take one. <laughs> And Justice, I, I talk about, you know, you're kind of growing in this space. I remember back before it was force players, the math math rushers. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. It, have you have you always kind of been just kind of a, a numbers guy? Like was math your thing when you were coming through school or did that kind of like get get kind of like ironed out and worked out as you kind of like were able to put it with with football? So math was my topic in school because I didn't have to study. Right. Like if, if you just learn the rules and there's always a right answer, then you could just go into the test and just like ace the test. Okay, So, so you were good at math because because everyone yeah. here that's not good at math like me is just like, dude, go at yourself. Are you kidding? Yeah, it's just, it's, just, <laughs> uh, it's just there's rules. I still don't know those basic rules. I still struggle with math. So, so, so yeah. here's the here's the thing. I graduated high school with like maybe maybe like a 2.5 right uh did not try very hard basically i i I tore my acl in in my freshman year it kind of like derailed my academic situation i realized like scholarships probably isn't gonna do something uh for me and then was like i'm probably gonna go to community college anyway so like (laughs) let's just uh let's stay eligible for sports let's stay eligible for school dances we'll go to community college i ended up improving my uh gpa from high school to college by a legit full point so i I wasn't really i was really was not trying hard i i think i I, my senior year i was in like four ap classes i did not take a test including ap spanish i speak spanish fluently bad bad choices in high school from from my end so yeah i liked math because again i just did not have to try I did not. Have you're to describing. You're just describing like everybody knows someone like you, and like I teach, and I know kids like you too. And I'm just like, dude, why don't you try hard? <laughs> like, I'm not, I don't know. I don't I, really need to. I, I, I let me do enough. Let me I just do enough tr- to pass. <laughs> Look, when I started paying money for the yeah. tuition, I started trying hard, and that was the promise that I made to myself. I was like, look, I'm gonna give myself a little bit of time. But yeah, I mean, looking back at it. I, I sure sure would have liked uh, those cheaper credits that that I was basically taking. So yeah, that would have been. I I still the I speak fluent Spanish. Didn't take an AP Spanish test. That kills me. But Justice, yes. you have. I have long had a theory <laughs> that if your plan is to always go to community college, that your high school grades do not matter. And you, sir, are the living, breathing embodiment of that. Just, so thank you. I am going to build a new education checkers. system. Chess right. checkers, baby. Let's go. <laughs> That's right. Jake, yeah. let's jump into pass rushers. You move us on, please. 
I was going to say, speaking of, uh, you know, imp- improving your GPA by one full point. Actually, I got nothing here. I got nothing. Yeah, Let's just not- talk about edge rushers. <laughs> Let's talk terrible. about edge rushers Wow, here. that was terrible. Uh, so Aiden um, Hutchinson. Yeah, Aiden. He's really uh, big good. Aiden. I don't know if you guys have seen that or not. So, no, what I think um, what I think is interesting to pair with this edge rushing class is when you, you look at this class and you look at, like, you know, not to be like that, the guy that's, hey, he's not going to be there. But there's obviously going to be some guys that just aren't going to be there. Like Aiden is probably not going to be there for the Packers. Kayvon's probably not going to be there. Uh, Tavon Walker, probably not going to be there. But after that, you know, it's kind of a mixed bag of, of guys that who's, who is edge four for you and who do you think, you know, is going to take a guy like that and, like, where does the run on some of these edge players kind of kind of go? Because I think with the edge position as a whole, and Justice, you could speak to this as well, if you don't get one of these guys in the top 100, top 50 even, is there, is there a point? Is there really even a point at throwing throwing a dart at the board and trying to take somebody that maybe doesn't meet some of these athletic thresholds, like at pick 112 or whatever it is? Yeah, I mean, edge rusher is probably one of the most wasted uh, or, or, or kind of like a black hole of a position in terms of assets after probably round four. Right. So like you're, you're looking at fifth, sixth, seventh round edge rushers, almost no one ever ends up yeah. making it from, from that group. I mean, I'm trying to think like Shaquille Barrett, I can't remember if he was you know, a drafted free agent. Undrafted. Yeah. yeah. And then isn't Josh sweat like a later round guy too, but that he was, he was injured. Moment. Like he was a guy. Yeah. So that doesn't like, count. That's a whole other thing. Like the, the, I'm trying to think of like even fourth rounders. It's like Everson Griffin and Danelle Hunter, who was kind of like yeah. super misused. You know, you at, get at the, you, at the college. Vince Beagle He's, was a fourth round pick, and he he was banged up too. Yeah, he was. <laughs> well, he, should, like, he should have gone higher. Dang it! Like uh, I'm thinking, like Elvis Doomerville, like guys that are just like crazy Super outliers, small. like James like Harrison. Small. <laughs> that would be the one. Right? He's small that too. Yeah, one. like these guys. But like that's the whole point is you're a crazy big outlier to be able to be successful outside of, you know, these, these top picks and um, whether or not you believe the draft is even real in five, six or seven, you know, it's kind of falls in that same vein. It's not. I I actually, to, to your original question, you asked, you know, who's my edge for my edge for is actually Trayvon Walker. Um, Trayvon Walker was a guy who I was kind of a, up until the combine where everyone wised up and was like, Hey, this guy's an insane athlete. Um, I, I was kind of hoping that, you know, he would make it to like 28 or something at Green Bay. The My edge three is actually George Karloftis from, from Purdue. He's really talented. I don't really understand why people don't like him as much. I mean, he was a guy that I remember when I was working in XFL stuff. Um, we, were, we were building out our databases, all our film glossaries, all that stuff. And he was a guy that we had kind of tapped as like a top 10 pick coming out of his freshman season at Purdue. Um, I understand like Carlotta's probably didn't gain a ton of steam until this past year because uh, the COVID year was so weird for him. He was banged up and then missed games for COVID and it's a short season. Like there's only so much hype that you can build up around that. Um, but Carlotta's is a guy who like, what more could you want? I mean, he's like 270. He can bet around the edge. He's an explosive player. Um, I'd seen mocks. The, the, the big one for, to me was it was either McShay or Kuiper, where uh, Karloftis had made it all the way to Tennessee. And I was like, whoa, if he's in play for the Packers pick, like, you kind of got to turn that in. And that's almost what I worry about. Like, the nightmare scenario for Packers fans 
Karloftis is there at 22. They turn in the pick at 22, and then all these teams jump up for a wide receiver before they can come back and pick at 28. Yeah. Like that's that's the nightmare one. I almost feel like with as big of a sore thumb as the wide receiver position is for the Packers, they have to take a wide receiver with that first pick because it's just too obvious that they're they'd be waiting for value at, at 28 for the same position. Yeah, so I wouldn't be surprised. Be I was gonna say I wouldn't be surprised if they just moved up for a receiver either, with mm-hmm. you know kind of the sins of the past of you know losing out on Justin Jefferson. I mean, there was a ton of talk of them wanting Bateman so much last year, and him getting hocked up right before they picked. Like, I would not be surprised at all if Goody was just like, "F it, it's not happening again. We're moving up." But Carl Loftus too is a guy that turns twenty, just will hardly be twenty one uh, on the draft too, and that's I mean he he checks like every box that the Packers love for first round draft picks, premium position, young kid, freak athlete, the right size. I mean, so if he's there at 22, you're, you're right. Like Goody is really going to have to show us. Do you really stick to your board? Are you really a Ted Thompson disciple? That's going to be like, Nope, this is my board. I'm sticking to it because there's going to be so much external pressure from everyone. Like you said, you got to take the quarterback. 12, yeah, 12 yeah. is yeah. the big one, right? It's yeah. like, oh, man, I we just got done pissing you off, and we traded away <laughs> your number one wide out. Yeah. And supposedly – well, not supposedly. He knew, too, and he didn't know that mm-hmm. and come back to say, like, hey, I'm throwing the ball to Lazard and Cobb and some undrafted guys, too. So uh, you mentioned – so you've got it as – your top three guys, you mentioned Kalarftis was third. Fourth was Trayvon Walker. Is Jermaine yep. Johnson and then Ojabo, are those your last two? Well, no. Ojabo prior to the injury. Okay, so they're, now I'm they're interested. Not, they're, not my, they're not my next two, either of them. Okay, um, okay, because that's kind Evan, of the consensus, so I'm interested here. Evan Ketty from Penn State, he was a guy okay. who stood out every single time I watched film on any of these offensive linemen. So I started looking at the offensive linemen really before I started going into like the second tier of these day two guys. Um, and and the wide receivers, right? So I'm watching, you know, Ohio State, Penn State for Olave and Garrett Wilson, and I'm like, dude, who the hell is this 17 coming out? Because I, I jumped into this draft class late, right? Um, last year I was doing stuff for Bleacher Report. I broke down, like, every single draft pick uh, in the front seven, like, probably, like, two weeks before uh, the actual draft happened. So I had been watching film since – you know, deep since January. I'm, I'm playing catch up right now. So I didn't even know who this guy was. I'm starting to text people. I'm like, Hey, 17 from Penn state. Like he's a player, right? Like, is he in this draft class? And they're like, you're, he's a second round pick in this. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like that's probably my guy. He is twitched up like hell. Um, just a relentless guy. And, and he's a great pass rusher. So he's probably like a kind of like a DPR type of guy. Like he's going to be in the Gary role that like, you're sending him every single play. You're not going to drop him like, you know, Preston Smith or something like that. Um, but he's a guy that like, you're probably not going to take it like 28, but like if you trade back from 28, right? Like, let's say you go up, you take someone like Olave 22. There's not like a, a huge value in taking someone at 28, just because all those guys are kind of like the same tier. You move down to the front half of, of the second round. That's where I could see so, um, the team taking someone like Abiketti. So that's interesting. Okay. Cause yeah, the general consensus, I guess, is what I was getting at was those first six guys are the four you had mentioned and then Ojabo Johnson. So where do those guys fall in after that? Then if they're not five or six, 
I I have I have him just right behind. I have Ojabo gotcha, next. Okay. Um, Ojabo, I I worry a lot about him, and I I don't know how much because his his fall is coming right, and obviously because of the Achilles injury, and, and that's super unfortunate. I mean, that's probably a based off of where he was ranked and probably where he'll go. That's probably like a ten million dollar injury that he had, which and a, is just and a full round. Yeah, yeah, that sucks. That's terrible for him. That's terrible for the agent, the trainer, every everyone around him. Um, but I do wonder how much he was inflated by just kind of media hype of like, hey, he's the next guy, right? And like we see that a lot, you know, uh, this time of the year. He was a guy who I always thought was just kind of a straight line speed guy. Like athleticism, it, it depends how you define athleticism because I don't think his bend around the corner was that great for someone of his size. Like you can see, you know, right tackles in the Big Ten just kind of like poking and prodding at him a little bit and he gets moved five yards off of his spot. And it's like, whoa, that's not that's not a top 10 pick like you, you were being – tabbed as right um the other thing about the film too is like and, and this is one reason why i like watching full games instead of just watching uh like the cut-ups on youtube or whatever um that show like just the snaps that the guys on the field for like the rotations that they're in are super important so michigan had a true freshman uh 230 pound outside linebacker that was like their starter in three four base mm-hmm. ojaba was, was only the only out there in, in nickel looks. So like he would, he's being asked, he, he's being talked about as, you know, he's a, he's a three, four outside linebacker in this draft class, never even really played that position at Michigan in, in the one year that he had production there. No. And the other thing with him that I always pointed out and what I always was telling, I've told people who watch the show, if you have something, take the over, the under, the higher, the lower, whatever way you want to look at it. Like if somebody's saying he's going to be drafted at 10, I bet he goes later than that. Yes. Because, you watch, if you watch the Iowa game, for example, they're playing a team that they know wants to line up and ram it down your throat. Ojabo doesn't play on first and second down yeah. in that game at all because they know Iowa's going to run it, and Ojabo's not a great run defender either. And that's something that – it's not an unwillingness thing. He just hasn't really done a whole heck of a lot of it. Now and and he's your... young into football, and that's the whole thing. It's like the whole right. – the whole thing is like you're expecting him to get better than he is right now. The problem is like – I don't know if the tools are necessarily where people assume the tools are. And the, and the fact that again, it's a true, a true freshman who's, you know, two twenty two thirty was coming off of the bench, taking those reps from him. It's, it's not like it was a veteran there that had learned the system or something like that. It's like he, Ojabo had plenty of time to, to learn relative to that, that freshman. Well, and for a guy like him, at what point does, does the juice kind of become worth the squeeze? Like if you're sitting there, if he's still there at the back end of round two, or, I mean, some, some people will even say with one of those two first round picks, is that too rich for a guy like him, especially coming off an injury, especially with how raw he is? Like what would the vibes be if that was the pick at 28? I would not like it. Um, I, I wasn't a huge fan of the Gary pick, which people remind me of all the time. <laughs> the big thing with the Gary pick was just, they already had signed two free agent outside linebackers. They took Gary, what, like 12th overall as a developmental guy. So so you're just at, – at the end of the day, you're waiting two years for him to develop, which is what happened. It ended up breaking nicely for them in 2022 when, you know, they move on from Zadaria Smith. Um, but Ojabo is a guy who I don't even think necessarily has those type of talents. The guy I actually think has Gary type of 
uh, talent in terms of as a pure pass rusher and being able to like bend the edge and stuff like that is uh, Boye Mafe from uh, uh, Minnesota. Um, the, the big thing with him is, you, you know, you're talking about Green Bay Packers uh, traditional tendencies and stuff like that. He's older. He's on the he's older 20, side. Like he's 23. He, yeah. Yeah. He's about he'll to be turn 24. 24 when the season he'll, be, he'll be a 24 year old rookie. Yeah. Right. And he, again, is a guy who's a little bit of a developmental guy. He's, you know, fairly young into his football career, but he's definitely a guy. I would say that's like the last one where it's like true pass rushers. Like you're talking about Hutchinson, Thibodeau, Karloftis, Walker, Evaketti, Mafe, And then you start getting into like, all right, are these guys run defenders or are these like, total projects at that point in my opinion so we've talked about those guys we talked about mafe uh the other guy was the guy who uh, shined at the senior bowl which did you get down to mobile this year no i did not i, w- no, I wasn't okay. down in mobile because uh the, the packers were still involved uh in the playoffs and then they had what was it it was the uh what was it pro bowl where they're just moving all their coaches around and stuff like that. So I didn't end up getting to make that. That's right. Okay. So in mobile, one of the stars down there was Jermaine Johnson, the pass rusher Mm -hmm. from Florida state. So that's the one guy towards the top ish of this class that we haven't really talked about. So what's your take on him? I know he was a Packers Twitter favorite, especially at the beginning of this process. I think he's a solid run defender, but he's wound up pretty tight. Like I don't, I don't see him bending around the edge against NFL guys the way he kind of did at the ACC level. So that's kind of my big hesitation there. The The fact that he's being rumored as like a top 10 guy is nuts to me. It, it just seems like, all right, Ojabo, he's not going to go top 10. All right, we move to the next guy and we vault him up. And this is what I sit back and I'm just like, how the hell is that guy not Karloftis? Like Karloftis should be the guy, you know, going that high this entire time. And it seems like we're just overthinking it. And I'm with you. I've been on the record that, you know, if Karloftis, if one of Karloftis, Walker, I've said Johnson, but one of those top five edges, the consensus was there that Green Bay should take that guy without any hesitation. And that even, yeah. here's the other question I have then off of that. So we didn't talk about the guys at the top because like Aiden Hutchinson's going one uh, at mm-hmm. the lowest, like three. But Kayvon Thibodeau is somebody that they're doing the whole doesn't play hard is the motor. Does he really love football thing there? So like when we're talking about juice being worth the squeeze, where does he have to fall for you to be like, okay, just go get that guy. Probably that Gary range, right? About like 12, somewhere around there, probably like eight to 12. I don't, I don't think he's going to make it there though. I mean, unless we see just a crazy run on offensive tackles, which honestly very well might happen the, the way that, uh, you know, tackle need is still so high, even after free agency for a lot of these top teams. I could see a lot of them like packaging, uh, packaging uh, draft picks and just moving up to grab some of these guys. Um, if, if that happens, I guess it would be interesting. But the, the Thibodeau stuff, you guys watch the combine, right? Um, yeah. They're just ripping him. I mean, I know Rich Eisen's, you know, uh, University of Michigan alum and stuff like that. But I think it even went beyond that, where it's like they, they could not stop talking about Hutchinson doing all the drills and they're like can you believe this this Kayvon Thibodeau guy he, he's just done and it's like yeah because it's 9 p.m local time and <laughs> there were eight total edge defenders who ran the agility drills eight because they're running it so late like everyone knew that like the agents are are done having their guys run these agility times when it's like 10 o'clock local and it just seemed like it got taken out on Thibodeau and you know they're saying like hey 
this guy cares too much about his brand and all that stuff. Hutchinson is about to have an entire podcast on Pro Football Focus. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't understand where <laughs> we draw these lines. It never makes sense, mind you. This is the same NFL that, like, uh, what their their uh, intel onto the Deshaun Watson situation. If you if you read the <laughs> was Brown calling stuff, nobody <laughs> was like, yeah, we called their defense team and had a five minute conversation. It's like, what? So yeah, I mean, I, I yeah. The, I don't trust these people to, to make uh, decisions about character and stuff like that. It just seems Wait. like Thibodeau is a person that they don't understand and they like things that – they like easy evaluations, right? Like Rashawn is a good example of that even in itself because when he came out, there was a lot of that stuff going around like, well, hey, he's his own agent. He represents himself. Like that. Like that's a bad thing. Like, okay, here's a young man that – like went and got his degree or at least I go studied this and now he's going to do that. And he's more concerned about his brand. And Runs like, that's the agency. stuff. Yeah. And, and like, that's the stuff we just don't what, get to what's see. The big, what's the big deal about Rashad? Exactly. Like, he, he, come, he walks out of the plane with a Bane mask. He wears his merch in a press conferences in the off season. Outside of that, like he hasn't done but, anything wrong to anyone. And anybody who paid any attention at all, like Rashawn Gary, breathes football like that's yeah. I, i'm convinced like that's the only thing he actually does is is just talk think and act about football so that took five seconds for somebody to figure that out that one never made any sense either yeah uh also jermaine is also an old he mm-hmm. is going to be a 24 year old rookie as well which is weird but i mean the packers have never taken a guy high that has not been eric stokes is the oldest guy they've ever taken in the first round he he had just turned 22 so like I think there's I think there is something to that like I think in that first round range like I think they would pass on him, but a guy a guy that I'm interested in hearing your opinion on and this is actually someone that our buddy uh, Ross Uglum turned me on to and it's uh, Nick Benito from Oklahoma, uh, a smaller type edge but I like his tape. So you got to tell me about him because I haven't gotten to him yet. I, I've seen a couple of of these other guys like. I'm a fan of John. Uh, I think you say his name, Paschal, the the mm-hmm. Kentucky, Kentucky pass rusher. That is my like break in case of emergency because obviously Green Bay needs pass rush depth. Like you cannot go into a season with just two two guys, and that's what honestly they have right now. Like we we saw the juice that the other guys on the roster have. It's not good. Um, if someone goes down with an injury, you cannot start them, right? So you, you got to yeah. find someone to be able to do that. So if it's like third round or something the breaking case of emergency is a kentucky kid for me so you got to tell me about bonito a little bit i yeah, i know he's he's a little bit on the smaller side but yes, that's kind of the yeah. same situation with uh Majai sanders and sam williams too right Majai sanders yeah. weighs less than i do and i weigh he, he, he was he was 23 okay combine is is the story is how like, sick are you though man like you're they still said they the said he couldn't like, hold anything down for like three days and that he was adamant he was like nope i'm running it's like, man, good, I would love to you. lose 20 pounds in three days. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what. Yeah, uh, no but uh, Benito was in the 250s, but he's like a 6'3", 250 guy. But he he is like your prototypical, like, juiced up, bendy type guy that probably could probably play a little bit more in that person type role that, like, you can rush him and probably drop him as well. Um, he's not like your typical run your face through glass type guy that they have liked, you know, in, in like Z and Rashawn and Preston. But I don't know if that's going to stay the same because you look at the way like Petten wanted to, what wanted his edge rushers to be, and that's what he wanted. And then they still had Mike Smith last year. And so you could kind of see like, okay, 
is he still advocating for that type of guy? Um, and I'm not as familiar with Joe Barry. Maybe maybe Joe is more willing to take a chance on someone like that that isn't that you know six five, two hundred seventy pound you know glass eater um, that is a little bit more bendy on the edge. But he he is a fun watch. Um, basically, Ross basically told me. I feel he said I feel the same way about Nick Benito that I did about Harold Landry when he came out of Boston College. Just in the sense of like this is just an oiled up, bendy dude that people are probably going to underrate. He's going to go in the second round, second or third round, and then we're going to look back and and regret. Um, so he'll he'll be a fun guy for you to get to, and uh, make sure you tweet your thoughts because I'll we'll be do. interested. I might I might give him a look tonight because you say Harold Landry. Harold Landry was guy. I really like. We got beer cans knocking over. Yeah, good oh, lord, Jake. Could you? Could you as much work as we put into me. the show, don't you think we can show up to this show sober? Is that possible? <laughs> I'm drinking. I'm drinking green tea right now, fellas. Uh, sure you are. Okay. Uh, well, boy. I've been uh, big on go. the tea recently too. Really? Yeah, I've never been in that. But let's go to uh, the guys on the roster that you mentioned. So they've got Gary. They've got mm. Preston Smith, and you kind of mentioned that they need. Uh, some juice on that. So you said they can't start those guys. And I've agreed with that from the jump. I know for a while you were on the TIPA train. Maybe you were the conductor of the TIPA train. I, I, was. Um, I was. And then I watched. So I was able to, obviously you saw more of TIPA. You saw more of Garvin and then Ladarius Hamilton, which, you know, he's, I don't even think he's on the roster at this point. He might be a futures contractor or something like that. But none of those guys to me really showed much of anything. Are any of those guys even worth, I don't want to say rostering, I guess, because they're going to keep at least one of those guys, if not two, but in a backup type of role is can any of them be your fourth or fifth? Like in a perfect world for me, Garvin or Tipa pick one is your fifth edge guy. Cause they brought in a veteran pass rusher and drafted one as well. Yeah. I think Garvin is probably that guy, right? Um, he, he did pretty good against the run and he's still on a cost control contract for two more years. So, so there's not really, a huge reason to to move on from that. Tipa is the one where he really, I promise you, he showed flashes the the first preseason and then this past preseason for two games. And then that last preseason game, they just went at him. And he had some of the worst film I had seen um, by, by any pass rusher in any situation at the NFL level. And I was like, <laughs> oh, God, he is going to lose his practice. He's going to lose a roster spot. Because if you remember, Tipa was on that second line of the depth chart at that point in the season. And I, I kind of thought going into that final weekend of the preseason, like Tipa's is going to make the roster as like the last pass rusher on the team. Um, that obviously didn't happen. You know, after that film got out, no one picked him up off the practice squad. He finally got to move up to the active roster and it was bad. And he played like he was a 230 pound edge rusher. So unless Tipa gets a lot bigger, um, I, I can't imagine he's going to be a high value guy for this team, I guess is the way to put it. Um, it. It's just, he doesn't have enough sand in his pants. I mean, that's what it is at the end of the day. Like you're going to get some of these tackles in the NFL. And if they have a hundred pound difference on you, like you're just going to get clobbered. Yeah. And that's what it's been. And, and that's what, it, I mean, he looks just so, like you said, he's 230 pounds. He weighs five pounds more than, than me. And I'm not an NFL athlete. Like that is a, that is some a, of the wide receivers too. I mean, some of the wide receivers yeah. we got are built like that. So right, he weighs. He probably weighs. He. I tell you this. I can right. promise you this. Having stood next to both guys, if I had to guess, if standing next to Alan Lazard or Tipa, which one weighs more, I would guess Alan Lazard. And without right. looking at Lazard's weight, I don't even know if that's true or not. But I would guess Lazard weighs more. He's just Tipa is just so skinny, and it's incredible to me that 
good for him making the NFL. And, you know, if you're looking at that, that's somebody that you would think could be like a special teams ace or something like that. But that wasn't outside of a, he kind of got lucky against Detroit on that fake punt that the punter just kind of threw it in a, just, just the wrong spot. Who knew the punter's not a quarterback, but um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm in agreement uh, that I think that those guys, I mean, they've got to figure something out and they can't have those guys at the starting kind of things. And there we go. We've got the center. Lazard is 227. What do we say? I was say, man, Tipa, Tipa might need to play receiver next year, truthfully. And a, a lot of people talking about uh, Merciless too. And mm, I think with yeah. him, that's got to, that's got to be, I wonder if it's a wait and see type thing with the injury. That, I would that, assume, I mean, they signed Tunyon already, but the tight end market was hot. Right. So like mm-hmm. Whitney Merciless would be something like we only got one in the draft. You know, we're going in with a rookie, Preston, Gary, and then the other guys that we knew weren't really kind of NFL guys. Like it's, you know, May or June. Dang, we should give him another call. Like, I, I think that's kind of like the plan in that situation. If you guys want to talk about practice yeah. squad guys, I'll give you two. Uh, Ray Wilburn, the inside linebacker mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. in his games, the safety. I really like what they put on film uh, this past summer, and they they stuck around the entire season last year. Gaines kind of surprised me, the fact that like he wasn't brought up on the roster at all when they brought in Sean Davis, when they waited so long for uh, Vernon Scott to get healthy and stuff like that. Um, I kind of think if, if Gaines gets his footing, like he's going to be a, like, a special teams guy. And I actually thought it was interesting. You know, they, they didn't tender Henry Black. Who is their starting mm-hmm. dime guy? Like they used three safety dime up until what was it, the Baltimore Ravens game where they had Kevin King start mm-hmm. being like the dime guy? Um, so, what do you guys have any thoughts on those guys? Like Ray Wilburn was a guy who obviously the numbers game was working against him at inside linebacker last year. Um, maybe it's a little lighter this year, depending on how what they what they do in the draft. And then S games was a safety I thought like was worthy of being on the roster, but like just got lost in the shuffle apparently and now with black on I, I could see him being there i remember yeah Gaines was kind of kind of turned into like the preseason darling everybody that was at camp everybody that watched the games and rewatched the games really um really liked him which is interesting because and then they wrote you know because they rolled with henry black for as long as they did with with the draft pick in vernon scott on the roster as well mm-hmm. um but i think the safety position as a whole is is fascinating to look at how they're going to build moving forward with Rasul coming back and, you know, having three bona fide corners on your team and two legitimate safeties. Like how, how do they get all those guys on the field? Um, and I know this is an edge, this is an edge podcast, but I, I think it's worth talking about just with the safety position. I think it's, it's a little bit of a sneaky need for this team too, right? They've got Savage and Amos, both their contracts coming up. Um, would not be shocked to see them go that route at the end of the first round. Um, and do you have any thoughts about that as far as like, Hey, let's say, let's t- say they take like a, a Lewis scene with this secondary right now. How could a guy like that, or even, even Ennis Gaines, a guy like that, if he does get called up on the roster, how do they use someone like that as, as a third safety with the depth that they already have at the cornerback position? The the thing with Gaines is he's kind of, He's kind of like a box safety, almost like how Penton used to use Adrian Amos, where you're like, this guy is damn near a linebacker, right? Mm-hmm. He, he kind of fits that role where the third safety that the Packers used was really that dime back, which is not kind of the role that Gaines plays. So, like, it would have to be, I guess, in a different role. Um, my big question is just, like, dime back. Is that, 
is that going to be a corner? Is that going to be Shamar John Charles moving forward? Or is that going to be um, another safety? Because if that was going to be another – like, uh, so I'm looking at pro football reference right now in terms of the snap count. Henry Black played 262 defensive snaps, and that's with the safeties playing, you know, 96% of the snaps already. So that's all basically dime look. So it's not like that's a position that isn't valued at all, and there really isn't anyone to step up in in that role for the Packers, at least unless you think they're going to go four-corner dime and it's going to be Shamar John Charles, and he's just going to have to kind of live with that. But that gives them no depth behind him on the roster because I don't think – and Ento just can't tackle, right? Like that—that's his whole thing. And unless that gets fixed in this preseason, I—I I can't imagine him being more than another practice squad guy. Yeah, and with yeah, Vernon Scott's the one that's interesting because it felt just like taking space, like him and Heflin every week. It was just like ruled and, inactive, ruled inactive, and, ruled inactive. Yeah, and it felt like a guy that had like the inside track to be that dime safety over the Henry Blacks and the Innis Gaineses of the world. And then I think he was active for one game all year. So that's where you're looking at a possibility of is that you know. Is that another safety like that? Do they draft one like you guys were talking about? Or do they go the route of like re-signing Shannon Sullivan if his market dries up and he wants to come back and try? Because that's where Sullivan was. It was a little different, but he was at his best in 2019 when he was the team's dime back and the Packers had King Alexander and Tremont Williams playing as their primary starters. That could be where Sullivan could be somebody that's really useful. So that's another one just to throw in there. On something like that. Since Jake opened up the can of worms for other positions, I want to go to the defensive line because that's another thought that you've had on some stuff before. So the Packers signed Jaron Reed yesterday. They put him next to Kenny Clark. I think you feel good about three of their defensive linemen, depending on how you feel, I guess, about Dean Lowry. But with Clark, Reed, and Lowry, is that a spot where you think the Packers need to add another, you know, with one of their first four picks type of things? Um, add another young guy because like the, lo- I've always been on the train of like the loss of Kingsley Kiki didn't seem like a ton at the time, but in terms of like actual talent, pass rush talent, and just overall talent, he was probably their second most talented defensive lineman behind Kenny Clark. So it was a loss that they didn't really plan on in the future. Uh, now they're looking at, you know, Jack Heflin, who, like you mentioned, was just kind of taking up space last year, Tyler Lancaster. That's kind of what he does. And then TJ Slayton, who's a fifth-round rookie, maybe he's good, maybe he's not. Is that a position where they could stand to add a couple of guys? Yeah, I, I think that that's one where, like, if a guy like uh, Logan Hall from Houston is available in, like, a trade back or even in the second round or something like that, you pull the trigger there. Um, I think it would be for a guy like that, right? It would be, like, a five-tech type of guy because you already have Kenny Clark there, Um and you have TJ Slayton, who can probably play the nose a little bit. Um, he he kind of bounces around a little. Um, but they don't really ever like the three-tech guys. Like, they never draft those guys pretty high. Like, I'm trying to think. The highest draft pick that's like a three-tech type of guy was probably Mike Daniels in the fourth round. Um, and it turned out well for him. They just don't seem to, to value that position as much as other teams. So, I could easily they, – they probably, you know, they have 12 picks or 11 picks. I can't remember which one in the draft, they, they should probably use at least one on a defensive lineman. I always thought they were super light on the defensive line in general in games. Um, you know, there were, there are plenty of times they only had five guys that were active and, you know, it's the most rotated position in the entire sport. And, and they just didn't have a ton of bodies. And especially with the way that they played like their penny defenses, right. Where it was the nickel, but they only had one inside linebacker and they basically have the, the, the front of the three, four, 
uh, on the field at the same time. Like those guys are playing every snap. Like you, you got to rotate those guys. There's a reason why like guys like Tyler Lancaster were getting so many reps, even though people weren't huge fans of, of his game. It's like he was a warm body and they needed warm bodies. So I think the Lowry Clark Slayton combo is nice to start with. I don't think Slayton dissuades you from adding another guy that could kind of be like a quote unquote, like base starter for you. And then Reed, I watched Reed's uh, a couple of his games yesterday, you know, after the signing, I watched the game against green Bay. I feel like this is more of a like opportunity to make the roster type of signing than like, he's for sure making the roster and, and getting a significant amount of snaps. I don't know how you guys feel about it, but like, I know people quote the, uh, the playoff reps where like his playoff production, like went through the roof and good for him on that. But I was watching some of the regular season games and he's invisible for large stretches uh, of those. It'll depend on like, kind of like you were talking about a while ago on Twitter with Marquez Valdez Scantling, like, do they give him actual starter money or did they give him like, here's a shot at the roster kind of money? Mm -hmm. Cause there's a, there's a, like if they gave him 5 million bucks, he's going to be on the team. Yeah. Probably starts. I I just like, I watched this film and I'm like, they, shouldn't pay him more than like 2 million. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how much of that's guaranteed. Like that that's kind of where I'm at. But when your fifth guy is Jack Heflin and Heflin basically didn't play in the games last year, like you're in kind of a tough spot. You should be able to add someone. Heflin felt like the guy that he made the Ross. It's like the old Mike McCarthy. How the hell does he not make the team thing with Joe Callahan? Cause he played so well theoretically in the preseason. That's what it felt like with Heflin is like, you have to have that guy make the team. Otherwise, Players are going to be like, this dude worked his butt off, played well in these games. Like, what does he have to do to make? But then he the got team? out by, by like, yeah. Amir Abdullah, and then yeah, Amir and he Abdula shouldn't have actually made the team. the team. And it's like, no, what is going on here? Like, some some of the decisions were so weird. Where guys like that are just moving on, right? Like Henry Black played snaps for the team. Amir Abdullah outsnapped Jack Heflin, who was on the roster virtually the entire season. He's not back with the team, and it's like, so then what was the plan here? All Right. Like those are the ones that leave you scratching your head a little. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if they didn't know or like what the thought on that was, but yeah, the other thing that you pointed out, all five of those guys played at least 260 snaps last year through that defensive line rotation. So I wonder if, and Kenny Clark was by far the most, he had 830 and Dean Lowry was nuts for a guy that size. Like, Clap and that's Kenny, man. That's 830 insane. snaps. That includes him missing the week 13 and week 15 game and then easing him back in in week 17 and 18 because he was coming off of COVID. So, nuts. yeah, that's in, on there. Not a human. Not a human. No, not a human. And he's incredible. What a great guy. I think, and I think that's why you can look at the interior defensive line group and still say, like, hey, that's still – I know they just signed Reed, but that's still kind of a sneaky need here to try to reduce. Some I don't think I don't think it's sneaky. I don't think it's sneaky yeah. because, like Justin well, mentioned, Reed Reed at most is a one year deal. Lowry's basically yeah. on a one year deal. That's yeah. a guy that my thought is one of those first four picks. Like in general, just in general, if I were drafting for the team tomorrow, and thank whoever it is you guys pray to that I'm not, but two pass catchers, two line of scrimmage defenders, like that's the way I think they should be approaching this draft because there's a dearth of talent at each of those spots. And that means D line and edge, and it means receiver. And there isn't really a tight end probably worth a selection that high, but maybe there is, but probably not. So just grab a guy on day, you know, the round, the third round or day three early or something like that, but two pass catchers, 
and and two line of scrimmage defenders. I don't think that's a sneaky need at all. You could argue. Yeah. Well, and, and Reed, Reed is not a guy that I think you want spelling Kenny Clark because like oh, the one thing I got, the one oh, thing I got from, especially from the KC guys that I write with talking, like asking them like, Hey, tell like, I, I thought this guy wasn't good last year. And they're like, he really wasn't. And like, he really wasn't good when they asked him to play any type of like true nose type role or try to two gap at all. And it's like, Oh, well, that's, that's not what you're going on doing in Green Bay then either. So yeah, I wouldn't be surprised at all if that's, if that is still one of those picks and Jacob, I know you're big on those, those big, those big fellas anyways, but uh, I could absolutely see that being one of those top four picks. If, if they wait on it, a guy like Ellis from Idaho is an interesting guy. Cause I think he can come in and probably do a little bit better than Lancaster already. And, and just kind of play that role where it's like, all I'm doing is playing nose tackle. And it's like, all right, there's a role for that in green Bay with the way that they play their fronts, right. Where the, they'll protect the nose tackle by playing two ends and nickel. And you're like, how does that work? Is well, Devondre Campbell is just playing sideline to sideline. There isn't a second backer out there. It's like, oh, well, that's pretty unique at the NFL level, but it, it works kind of to protect itself in a way. Yeah, and I am wondering if that was what they thought might have been the plan for TJ Slayton when they drafted him, but then it looked like they didn't really use him a whole heck of a lot in that role, and it looked like they were trying to use him more as a pass rusher, which is interesting. Honestly, I don't blame was- him for that because, like, TJ Slayton's whole thing was, like, conditioning, and, like, if, if your issue – if he needs to kind of like make weight and that's the whole point of this, like it's going to take more than a year to do that anyway. So I understand keeping the the reps limited there for a rookie, but it certainly hurt when you went into a game with five actives and one of them's a rookie who can't really rotate in into that many snaps. But I, I, I think Slayton's more of like a combo guy where he could play end, he could play tackle. It's he has, he has the size for, 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 for tackle, but he has the athleticism for end. So he can kind of do a little bit of both. And Marquand McCall just got. I was just gonna bring him up, and Labo just dropped him over in the chat as well. Dude, the Kentucky kid played at like three eighty at times last year at Kentucky. Mm-hmm. He got he was down in like what the three forties for the combine. But that's a dude too that you want him just to come in and eat blocks. Like he will do that. And if that's if you can get that in the fifth round, like that's that's what I liked about the Slayton pick because before I watched him and had realized he had a little bit more juice than I first realized. I thought that's what he was. And I kind of like that strategy of like, hey, it's the fifth round. Just give me give me a guy that's not going to get moved. Like, I know I have one easy projection for you. I know that you can do this one thing um, and give me that. Because I think that could be such a super valuable thing in this defense for the Packers, even if it's just letting Kenny get off the field on first and second downs, you know, a little bit more this season. Yeah. The, the big thing with Slayton, too, is like even going back to his high school days, I think he, he was – he had started one year of defense at high school. Like he had like five tackles his senior year. Like he was full blown a, a guard tackle prospect at, at yeah. a, you know, one of the high schools oh. where uh, they pump out NFL draft picks. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. We got Lambo Lobo's in the chat, just dropping this stuff before we're even getting to it. We don't even need a producer it. because I literally just, read, so. <laughs> Oh, there we go. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Highly touted. OL. good for them. So, guys, we're running out of time here. Jake, you got anything else you want to get to our to our guest here before we sign out here? Uh, most Packers edge rusher in this year's class is who? Paschal. I, I still don't know if, that, if I'm saying I thought you were going to say Carl Loftus, but okay. Well, uh, Carl Loftus, Carl Loftus if he's there. Yeah, for sure. Okay. And then and then probably Paschal. I mean, those those bigger guys, great run defender, but like sneaky good pass rusher. And you're like, ah. Oh. 
that that'd be interesting. So, um, maybe maybe they're getting away from that a little bit now that you know uh, Mike Smith isn't lining up a pass rusher on the center and stuff like that, which obviously you know helped Zadarius's production. I'm not knocking him on third downs and stuff like that, but um, seems like they really got away from that with Joe Barry and they're kind of letting edge rushers just kind of play on the edge. And if that's the situation, I think those guys are going to end up probably what they want as guys who can just shut down the edge completely. And your, your word of the week on Twitter has been manifesting with pictures. Manifesting. So if, can, so if you can manifest something for this Packers draft, what are we manifesting for the first round? Oh, just Chris Olave. Just yes. bring me Chris Olave. Yes. I, I need him. I know a lot of people like Garrett Wilson. I think Olave is the best receiver on that Ohio State team. I can't believe there's people who think he was the third best wide receiver at Ohio State last year. He is pre-scandal Calvin Ridley. Like, I, yeah. I bring him to me. I would like well, to see so Aaron Rodgers him. him okay. 1,500 yards. When Watch watch the all-22 of any of those Ohio State games. Who, Where is the coverage rolling to? Yep. Number two. Yep. They don't want that guy to beat us. He's yep. good. Yep. So there you have it, guys. It has been manifested. He's Justice Mosqueda. You can follow him on Twitter at J-U-M-O-S-Q. Find him over at Acme Packing Company. You can find me. I'm at Jacob Westendorf. You can find this Jake at Jacob Morley. And on the bottom line, grab that draft guide. You guys have got some time left. We've got some previews and stuff coming for you this week, so that'll be fun to watch. Until then, we'll see you next time. Next week on the Gold Zone, we're talking defensive line, so we'll get into a little bit more of this stuff uh, by then. But I look forward to that. We'll see you guys then. Have a good night.